Thank you, uh, Kyle, and the rest of the worship team for leading us in some great songs, particularly uh, the last one. I'd like you to kind of allow that to keep turning around in your mind as we um, begin the message time this morning. Children's Church, uh, ages 2 to 6, you want to head on out to the back, and uh, there's going to be people there that are going to spend time with you and teach you a little bit and play with you, and so blessings on you uh, as you head on out to the back. Wow, that's about half the church. I remember uh, being in grade two. Uh, any of you here, or did those kids exactly leave, the ones that were in, uh, in grade two? I remember being in, uh, in grade two, and uh, there were these storybooks that were just uh, really, really cool storybooks. They had very cool character, one in particular, a very cool character in them, and, um, and I loved reading or learning how to, and then reading those storybooks. And then I moved on from grade two, and I, I soon forgot all about this little series of books, and if I would have ever thought about them again, I would have just assumed that they were somewhere uh, collecting dust on some shelves in a musty storage room in the crawl space of uh, some school or library someplace. And, uh, and I completely forgot about this particular character and this series of books until a few years ago. Uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, my favorite grade two characters made a reappearance into my life. And I found that they were now on TV. And that they are still cool. Or maybe cool again. I'm not quite sure where they were in the meantime. Uh, if they always have been cool or if they are cool again. Who am I speaking about? I am speaking about... Curious George, my favorite grade two character. I assumed when I was in grade two that Curious George was a new phenomena. Uh, that we were on the, in our grade two class, that we were on the cutting edge. And that Curious George was brand new and, and this was a wow thing for my grade two class. Uh, when I was in grade two, that was uh, 1972, uh, about 45 years ago. And actually, though Curious George was already 30 years old when I was in grade two, apparently he first hit the scene in 1941. Uh, that means Curious George celebrated his 75th birthday last year. I just found all of this out this last week when I googled. Uh, Curious George. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that Curious George, although he is 75 years old, he is still curious. Thank you. Curious George is still curious. After all these years, he still wants to know more about everything. He still wants to understand better how things work he is still wondering about the what and the where and the when and the why and the how. And I'm thinking that perhaps we all have a little lesson to learn from Curious George. 
So I want to take you on another journey with me this morning. I want to speak about something that we will call curiosity versus certainty. Now just leave that where it is for just a moment. Before we go there, however, I want to say a few things in response to last Sunday morning. Uh, The first thing that we need to do is we need to add... Two more languages, Some of you, those of you that were here last Sunday morning with Thanksgiving weekend, we decided that we would do a little bit of a poll in our church family to see in how many different languages we could say the word thank you. And I think officially we got to 17 with kind of a half one there from Marianne in, in, in the baby language. And so, but officially we were at 17. I think it was that afternoon or the next afternoon somebody emailed me and said they'd been sitting there and they'd been scratching their head and wondering and trying to remember. And then later it had come to them the word thank you in Greek is uh, Eucharistio. And so that was very good. That was number 18. And then uh, during the week, I think it was maybe Tuesday, then somebody stopped me in town and said, now I remember. Uh, I was scratching my head trying to remember what the Cree word was for thank you, and uh, now I remember what it is, and Ken is going to say it real loud. There we go. So that's number 19. So without consulting Google, uh, this church family uh, can say thank you in 19 different languages, and I think that's pretty cool, uh, because we blew both Jesse and Mike's uh, estimates way out of the water, not to mention mine, which was even more conservative than theirs. Uh, So we talked a little bit about being thankful, and one step in that process was me inviting you to contemplate together with me the possibility that uh, comparative thanksgiving may be somewhat problematic, and then challenging you to consider the possibility that there might be much better motivators for us to say thank you or be thankful than the compare, uh, comparing yourself with people who have uh, uh, less positive life circumstances. And so uh, simply being thankful out of comparing. Uh, now, I, I'm always very thankful when people uh, prove to me that they've been listening on Sunday morning. And uh, that happened again during the course of this week because, uh, because I ran into some challenges during the course of this week. Uh, I became scared to go uptown because, uh, not really, no, not at all. Uh, actually, I, I very much like when people engage with what we've talked about here on Sunday morning. And so thank you to all of you uh, that have done that. Some of you spoke to me about it and some not. Some, uh, you know, you th- came and you thanked me for the message that we had preached and you very much agreed with me about this comparison thing and, and you know, way to go. And then, and then others of you, you, you know, with a little bit of a creased forehead, you, you came to me and, and you know, you... And so this comparing thing, uh, some of you challenged me um, and I hear you. You said that it's actually impossible to be thankful without comparing. It's impossible to be thankful without some type of reference. And actually, you're, you're psychological geniuses because that's way beyond where I was thinking, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it really is impossible to be thankful without some type of a reference point. You, you got it. And so somebody suggested, you know what, maybe it would actually be a better idea to simply challenge people when they verbalize their thankfulness to not verbalize it in a comparative way 
for the fact that we may uh, step on somebody's toes or hurt somebody or we may inadvertently be elevating ourselves above that person intentionally or unintentionally. And so to leave that little part out when we verbalize our thanksgiving, and so I think that's probably uh, a better challenge than to, to simply uh, kind of kibosh the comparative thanksgiving altogether. So thank you, those of you that engaged uh, in what we talked about here last Sunday morning. I, I, I totally, totally like that. Um, so, so this morning, uh, this, this curiosity versus certainty thing and, and curious George and, and what he might have to, to teach us. I'm going to be right up front with you um, at, at the beginning. Usually we kind of do this toward the end, but I'm going to do it right, right up at the front here. And I'm going to say uh, my challenge for you this morning is going to be um, for all of you to become or be, not become, continue to be uh, spiritual Curious Georges. And so your entire life, whether you are 75, past 75, or 45, or 25, or 5, to be curious about life, about the Bible, about God, about science, about the universe, about people, about Jesus, continue to live in a world of wonder and curiosity. In preparation for this message, I read an article, and uh, here was kind of a catchy um, phrase, uh, statement in that article, and uh, I am still wondering about it a little bit, and I invite you to wonder together with me. Uh, this is what the article said, uh, certainty is, in some ways, an obstacle to faith. Certainty is, in some ways, an obstacle to faith. Now, I want to I invite you, like I said, on this little journey, and we're going to explore this a little bit together. Um, when I look as objectively as I can at the life and teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, I actually came to see that this certainty thing seems to be in large part what Jesus is challenging in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus actually appears to encourage curiosity and challenge certainty. Stick with me. See, much of Jesus' interaction was with a group of people that were very certain about what they believed. The religious leaders of their day, often referred to in the Bible as Pharisees, they had it all figured out. They had their box figured out, they knew what they believed, they knew why they believed it, and exactly how you needed to live if you believed it. They were certain. There was no wiggle room, and to their credit, before we get too critical of them, I think it's fair to say that their certainty was based on Scripture. They knew the Old Testament scrolls backwards and forwards. They had decided exactly what living all of that out in their culture should look like for themselves and for everyone else. They were certain. And in different ways, with different words and stories, Jesus tells them, your certainty is standing in the way of true faith. All right, a few nods. Jesus looked at them and said, you are not leaving room for any new growth or new revelations or encounters with God. 
you have capped off your faith experience, experience and said, this is it. On the flip side, it's amazing to me how Jesus seems to encourage curiosity. Rarely does he give a very neat, clear, black and white teaching. Almost always it comes in the form of an action or a teaching or an explanation that leaves his listeners wondering, pondering, often somewhat confused. Sometimes after a miracle, he tells the beneficiary of the miracle to make very sure you do not tell anybody about this. The next time he does a miracle, he will do it in front of the whole town. On one occasion, he first tells them that he will not do a miracle this time, and then he turns around and he does a huge miracle. When asked about the right and the wrong of paying taxes to an ungodly government, Jesus asks for a coin, simply reminds them of whose picture is on the coin. At one point, he says that divorce and remarriage is very wrong, and then he chooses to use a woman who has been divorced five times to be the first convert in Samaria and the one to bring the good news to all of her neighbors. Over and over, he leaves his listeners wondering. He kind of dangles a carrot, and then he invites his listeners to follow their curiosity. Keep on following me. Keep on following me. Keep on following me. Keep on wondering. Keep on searching. Keep on looking. Keep on listening. And then he tells them, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Ask, and you will receive. And those are all continuous action words. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and doors will be open for you. Keep on asking, and things will be given to you. Curiosity versus certainty. I was speaking to a man a while ago, and he had a very clear view of Israel and the Jews and their special position in the last days. And after he had gone on for a while, I simply said, there are lots of trained scholars that would hold a very different position than you do. And without hesitation, he barked back at me, then they are not reading the Bible correctly. Ooh. I'm not picking on this particular issue for any particular reason. All I'm saying that I think it might be fair to say that that man's certainty is an obstacle to his faith. I'm suggesting that perhaps his actions betray the fact that his faith is in his position and not in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. That was revolutionary for the Pharisees. They were, and for the disciples. They were pretty clear about the fact that it was their system, their package that was the way and the truth and the way to live. And so the statement of this statement of Jesus was huge when he says that he is saying that the truth isn't a concept or an idea. The truth is a person. Jesus Christ, a living person. Seek after him. Pursue him. Trust him. Know him. 
Several weeks ago, we looked at a, a verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not your church, not your pastor, not your theological persuasion or position. Nothing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Thank you. My brother and his family spent some time in Cambodia several years ago. And many of the other missionaries that, uh, that were there together with them came from a, a certain very strong theological way of thinking. Uh, one day my niece, uh, grade 9 at the time, was brave enough to show one of her teachers a verse in the Bible that, uh, that seemed to imply a different way of thinking about this particular issue. And the teacher looked at her and simply replied, that verse cannot mean what it says. Oh. That teacher was incredibly certain of her theological position, which, which, which was solidly based in her mind on her interpretation of some of what the Bible says, some of what the Bible says. Only problem was that her certainty was standing in the way of her, of her faith. Her certainty in her theological position did not allow her to trust the word of God, which she would say was the foundation of her faith. Now, honestly, I, I find this over and over when I, when I visit uh, with people. Uh, people who are incredible, and I see it in myself, people who are incredibly certain about things. And you say, um, you know, you listen and you say, yeah, yeah, you know, good point, but, but what about this? And not all of them are as bold as my niece's teacher in, in saying that verse can't mean what it says. Uh, but that's often the implication. Well, that doesn't fit my way of thinking. It, it doesn't fit my box. I feel more comfortable when I focus on this part of the Bible. These verses. They're more black and white and I like that better. It makes me feel safer. I would suggest maybe that safer word or concept is one of our biggest problems with this curiosity thing. I'll be the first to admit, promoting curiosity is somewhat scary. And it's exactly that fear that has been the cause of one religious system after another. It was exactly that fear that drove the Pharisees to the point of killing Jesus. We need to get rid of this guy because he's a threat to our certainty. And it's easier to get rid of him than to allow our certainty to be challenged. And so we, humanity, we have done the same thing. We have religious system after religious system after religious system in our world because we like to have it figured out. We like to be certain about something. We don't want to enter the scary realm of curiosity. And we don't like the idea very much of our faith being in a living relationship. It just feels too loosey-goosey. And so we need to find ways to make it more crystal clear. We don't like the idea of the way and the truth and the life being a person. We want it to be more clear-cut. And so again and again, we default back to the idea of making a checklist. And when we have the checklist covered, then we can be certain that we are okay. And all the while, Jesus is standing there and saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. It seems as though God wants us to search for Him, to pursue Him, to look for Him. 
There's a general theme in the New Testament, especially, of complementing the idea of searching and then finding, particularly Jesus. You start with the birth of Jesus, the wise men, they traveled and they looked and they studied and they searched, possibly up close to up to two years, and then they found him. Uh, the shepherds obviously didn't have to look or travel uh, quite as long and quite as far, but they were also told by the angels to go and look for him. And when you look for him, you will find him. Him, not it. Him, a person. You will find him. You will find Jesus. They didn't say you will find it, a system, a theological position, a way of doing things. You will find him, Jesus. I like what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. This whole searching thing isn't just captured in the New Testament. There's a lot of it in the Old Testament also. Jeremiah 29, 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus. There needs to be a never-ending curiosity and searching and wondering and listening and hearing and thinking. And in some ways, that's scary. See, each new generation, in a sense, must do this journey of searching and finding. Oh, absolutely, do it in the context of community, and that's one of the fantastic things about church and youth and, and Sunday school and friends and community and all that. Don't just gobble up what the people around you are saying. Don't just gobble up what your parents are saying. Don't just gobble up what your teacher is saying or your youth leader is saying. In order for your faith to be alive, you need to engage yourself in this curiosity and wondering and searching and hungering. It feels scary. It would be so much easier if you would just let me do the thinking for you. See, I've gone through all of that already, and so why wouldn't you just let me do all the thinking for you? I've got it packaged nicely. I can tell you exactly how that uh, plays out in my life and in my world, and so I'm just going to give you this package, and you can take this package, and you open it up, and it'll tell you exactly how to go about your life, exactly what you should, what you should believe, what you should do, and what you shouldn't do, and we'd all be happy, and another religion would be born. Because it's got to be yours. You've got to be the one that searches and thinks and wonders and listens and hears. And then finds Jesus and embraces Jesus. I can't do it for you. It'd be wrong. Your parents can't do it for you. It'd be wrong. Your Sunday school teacher and your youth leader, they can't do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. Search. Think. Look. Be curious. And I have to believe that if you will be on an objective search, then you will end up back in the presence of the living God of the universe and His Son, Jesus. I have to believe that. That's what happened to the prodigal son. He went out and did his own search for meaning and purpose in life, and he ended up back in the house of his father. Not for a minute, by the way, am I encouraging that all of you do a search like the prodigal son did. There's many other ways of, of searching. 
But I'm suggesting that you remain curious, that you do not allow certainty to handcuff you from experiencing what our real faith journey is all about. Follow me to Acts chapter 17. We've got a couple minutes. I want to show you this, this little section here in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 to 28. Acts 17, 24 to 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. I don't think it's a stretch if we stop there and we say he doesn't live in human systems. I think that's the interpretation in our context of what Paul is writing over here. Does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself is the one that gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. All of these amazing things God has done from creation of the world to creating humanity to spreading them out over the course over all the world and then setting up times and structures and the way that they're going to live and what they're going to do. God has done so many amazing things. And then verse 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. God did this all so that our curiosity would get the better of us and we would search and we would think and we would ponder and we would listen and we would wonder and we would hear and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul points to the amazing creation of God as testimony of his greatness. God did all of this so that humanity will look for him and wonder who is making this all work. And humanity looks and wonders and studies. One commentary that I read on these verses said, Mystery creates hunger and search. Mystery creates hunger and search. And so it seems that God and Jesus knew that when, when Jesus lived and when the Bible was written, uh, there's so much mystery. And humanity looks for him and finds him because actually he's not very far away from any one of us. For in him we all, all of humanity, lives and moves and has their being because of him. You know by now that even though I am not a great scientist, it, it intrigues me. It intrigues me because I believe that all of science points back to an amazing, awesome God. And really, it only makes sense if, if He's the one that created it all. Then all of creation has to ultimately point back to its Creator. It's one of the reasons why I'm so convinced that true science is never in conflict with God. We've made a mistake in that sometimes and, and we've portrayed that sometimes and I, I'm sorry about that because true science is studying the work of God. The work of creation. And I don't think we ever need to be afraid of encouraging the study of God's creation. The work of God. In fact, Paul says in Romans 1 verse 20, 
Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God can be seen in what he has made. The Bible and true science are not at odds with each other. Don't let science scare you. True science always points us back to an awesome, almighty God. And an honest, objective, curious look at the world and its people and its cultures, the universe and everything out there. God says, I did this so that man would seek me and reach out to me and find me. Friends, if curious George can still be curious after 75 years of age, then so can you. Don't ever think that you have it all figured out. Remain curious. Keep thinking and wondering and pondering and searching. My friend, Dr. Archie Penner, great theologian, taught me so incredibly much. Perhaps the most important thing he tried to teach his students was this. Don't ever think you have it all figured out. Be captivated by the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. He kept repeating those two things. And then keep on thinking and contemplating and learning and wondering and trusting. He said one day to our class that he was fully convinced that after he had been in heaven for a thousand years, he would know so much more than when he first got there. He believed that he was in a living relationship with Jesus. And when there is a living relationship with someone, there is growth. There is movement. There is an increasing depth and quality to that relationship. And if you are in a relationship with Jesus, then it will continue to grow and become bigger and deeper and more meaningful and more full and more complete and more knowledge-filled all the time. I was visiting with a friend. He's my age. He's been on an incredible spiritual journey, especially in the past several years. Uh, and he shared how he thought... You know, 10 years ago, he thought that he had this spiritual thing kind of all figured out. And, and now he said to me, but the truth is, Darren, I knew nothing back then. I have learned so much in the past few years. Now I get it. Now I understand. And I listened. And then I said to him, that's cool. That's amazing. But I said just one thing. I hope you can say the same thing all over to me again in another 10 years. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, I hope in 10 years from now you can look back again and say, I thought I had it all figured out back then. Referring to where you are right now. But I have learned so much more in the last 10 years. And he was a little stumped because he was certain that he now had it all figured out. And all I was trying to say to him was, don't let your certainty be an obstacle to your faith journey. And so, if curious George can still be curious after 75 years, then I suggest that so can you. God bless you.